book of Ruth. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malin. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malin's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the Daniel Island Fellowship. Again, a warm welcome to all of you this morning. As we prepare to hear from God's word, would you bow your heads one more time so I can share a prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer, we've been making our way through the book of Ruth. Uh, for those who've missed some of these sermons, they're online at danielislandfellowship.org. It's been a beautiful journey. We have two more weeks in this book, and I'll try to provide little summaries throughout my passage, or excuse, excuse me, my message today. Uh, today, uh, the message is titled Redeeming Love, and I want to begin with this question. Have you ever witnessed something special? Have you ever witnessed something special? For many of us, we witnessed something special just last week. You see, just a week ago, 
Uh, many in our community of faith were baptized down at the Isle of Palms. And here's a picture of a lot of you celebrating those who were being baptized. Now, there's a story or a backstory to this story, which is the prior week, we just had our Diff Kids Camp. And I just have to brag on all of our kids and student leaders. Thank you so much for making it an incredible week. We had 115 kids led by 60 students, middle school and high school students, supported by 30 adults. I've never seen so much collaboration across age groups as I see in our church. And out of that week, we had 42 kiddos say, I want to give my life to Jesus or recommit my life to Jesus. Out of that week, we had 28 kids sign up to be baptized. Out of that week, we had 34 kids saying, I want to live my life on mission with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, so let's give all of them a round of applause. So last week, after our second service, we went to the Isle of Palms, and there was this little girl I'd like to highlight that said, I'm ready to be baptized. And here's little Violet um, with her little scrunchie on top of her head, holding my hand as she makes her way out to the deep waters to be baptized. Her joy was contagious. And uh, the only thing is, some of the people there, at least one witness, was a little fearful. Because if you look closely at this picture, her little brother Oliver is here, and he has a kind of scared look on her face, on his face. Why? Well, he, he was uh, told by his sister, uh, Violet, he, he was told, hey, I'm so excited to go and spend eternity with Jesus. And you see, he was confused on the way to the beach. He kept telling his parents that he's going to miss his sister as she goes up to be with Jesus. So I only imagine, even as he's walking, he's scared. He thought she was just going to go right up into the clouds, into the heavens, right? That did not happen. What did happen is this. She was baptized, and then she was giving different people high fives. And it doesn't get much better than this, does it? And then beyond that, Oliver must have been so relieved because he get, gets to do more life, more years with his, his older sister, Violet. You see, we all are witnesses to what God is doing. In this story contains witnesses about what God had done. But beyond being a witness, we are called to be participants or recipients to God's work. I think the big idea from this passage this morning is this. No matter your struggle, God can redeem your story. No matter your struggle, God can redeem you and your story. We're going to unpack this point with three subpoints. The first is this. God fights for his people. The passage begins... Boaz went up to the town gate, sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So we went over and sat down, and Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. 
You see, at the heart of the Bible is the truth that God fights to redeem his people. If you look at the Old Testament, there's this story of where the Israelites are in bondage. They're enslaved in Egypt. And God sends this guy named Moses to go redeem his people. And he says, let my people go. And there's this tussle. There's this you know, a conflict that happens in the Old Testament. Finally, God starts sending plagues on the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And they're finally able to escape. Uh, I think it's DreamWorks or one of the maybe major movie production studios has even made a movie about this, right? Some of you may have seen it. So they're fleeing Egypt and Pharaoh gathers all of his chariots and his army and starts pursuing the people of Israel, to cut them down. And they're fleeing not just from something, but to something, from Egypt to the promised land. And we read these words in Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Given how much this, this word or idea of redemption is mentioned in our story, I think it's helpful to provide a definition. According to the free dictionary, to redeem means to restore the honor, worth, and reputation of somebody. God is fighting for their redemption and our redemption. In the biblical context, it often meant freeing them freeing us from bondage. And sometimes there would be a substitute for that freedom that is given. And uh, as I mentioned, God not only redeems his people from something, but for something. And another way of saying that is once they're redeemed, he calls them to be redeemers. For instance, Exodus 19, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. So fast forward to our passage. Boaz takes action to be an instrument of God's redeeming love in Ruth chapter 4. And I just want to pause for this reflection. Just because you don't see God working in your life doesn't mean he's not fighting on your behalf. You see, Boaz is fighting, we'll see, fighting for Ruth and Naomi's redemption, but they're not even present here in this chapter, at least the beginning part of the chapter. Yet Boaz, on behalf of God, is seeking, fighting for their redemption. Just because you don't see God working in your life doesn't mean he's not fighting on your behalf. To illustrate this point, I want to share about our story moving to Charleston. It was 2011, and I was recruited to work uh, for this national missions organization, this national denomination, to help start new churches across North America. And if you remember, in 2011, in those years, the housing market was kind of crazy, right? I know we have some realtors and brokers in the house. 2008 to 11, the housing market was crazy, and uh, we actually sold our house quickly up north, uh, and then moved into this industrial park, this loft with three kids and a puppy, 
We had to truck our groceries up a couple flights of stairs. I loved it. My wife was not blessed by it. And um, we started looking at homes mid-2011 down here in Charleston. And we fell in love with the home and we bid on it and we didn't get it. We fell in love with another home. We bid on it. We didn't get it. We fell in love with another home. We bid on it. We didn't get it. And it happened again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Finally, by the 11th home, we came to an agreement uh, with the seller that we would purchase his home. And if any of you are kind of local, you know Hobcall Creek Plantation. It's over in Mount Pleasant. And the home was this gorgeous home that this gentleman had built himself. And he finally said, I'm ready to sell it. And so we were so excited until he backed out. The 11th house we had bid on. And we were just curious, God, where are you in this? What is going on? And before you know it, a house on Daniel Island, the place where my wife really wanted to live, it was a model for one of the builders. It had this huge price drop. And it was because it was late into the fall and we saw the price drop and we said, wow, let's go for it. And guess what? We got it. You see, God fights for us even when we can't understand his timing or the ways he's working. Had we not been able to secure that house, I seriously doubt we'd be planting this church because it was a tragedy in our neighborhood on Daniel Island that actually grabbed our hearts to launch the Daniel Island Fellowship. And I wonder, are you confused or disappointed in your life, curious if God's fighting for you right now? God fights for his people, even when we can't see it. Point two, God provides for his people. The passage goes on, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, excuse me, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you, if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. As a means of a quick, quick review of what a guardian redeemer is, you see, God had given specific instructions in the law to his people to provide for the poor, the widows, and the orphans in their midst. God has a system in the scriptures of providing for his people. And what a little backdrop for those who have been out of town all summer what this book of Ruth is all about. Let me try to do it in 30 seconds. There's this woman named Naomi. She's married to this man, Elimelech. There's a famine and violence in the land of Israel. 
They flee with their two sons to Moab, a foreign land. Before you know it, her husband dies. That's okay. Her sons get married only to die as well. She's left with no male, uh, no male heirs to her family. And so you've got this daughter-in-law, Ruth, who says, Naomi, no matter what, I'm going to stick with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And then we see Ruth in this chesed kind of love, this covenant faithfulness. She moves back to Israel with Naomi and serves her through thick and thin. Okay? And now in this passage, Boaz is a redeemer, a guardian redeemer, in which God has set up a system by which widows could be redeemed and the, their line, their lineage could be restored. Listen to these words from Leviticus 25 for the specifics. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor, sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. Deuteronomy 25. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her marry her, and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. You see, our passage is highlighting the actions of two men who are guardian redeemers. And yet there's a problem. Boaz, who feels led to redeem Ruth and Naomi, He's got someone ahead of him in line whose responsibility it is to redeem these women and to redeem uh, the line of one of their late husbands. And yet one is motivated by providing for God's family. Catch this. One is motivated by providing for God's family. The other is motivated by simply providing for his own family. The irony is Boaz, not just Naomi and Ruth, is blessed beyond measure because of his faithful generosity. Let me paint the picture clear here. The husbands die. Naomi and Ruth, they're facing their worst nightmare. There's no, uh, there's no child to inherit and carry on the name of Elimelech and Malon. Okay, God has it in his system in the Old Testament a means of redeeming that family so that they could survive in the clan. And so Boaz goes to the first in line. He says, hey, are you good to restore this family? And at first he's like, yeah, I'm game. I'll, 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 take, in, excuse me, I'll take in Naomi. I'll redeem her property. And here's the thinking. He was simply looking at it from a financial decision. What it would look like is if it was just Naomi, he would redeem her. He'd buy her property. But when she died, that property would belong to who? Himself. And he'd have a net gain. But then when you throw Ruth into, into the equation and, oh, by the way, you need to try to have babies, you know, heirs to this land and carry on the name of Elimelech and Malon, the guy's like, I'm out. It's going to hurt my bottom line because guess what? Even if Naomi or Ruth pass away, those heirs get the land, and he's like, you know what, I'm out. There's no gain for me. The one Boaz cared more about God's family, the other was just concerned about maintaining his own family. 
And it makes me wonder, do you know God's word and are you following it? Or is your life motivated or my life motivated by some other agenda? You see, if your goal is simply to provide for your own family, then you will miss the incredible ways God wants to provide for you. And the author, um, I know we've got a biblical nerd over here, and Kenneth Paget just finished his master's in Old Testament. There's something very interesting about the translation here in the NIV. It says at the beginning, it says, Boaz found the redeemer, guardian redeemer, and he said, hey, my friend, come sit down. That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, please sit down. Why? Because it's shameful that he's not redeeming Naomi and Ruth. And fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, all the way to the New Testament. Who is in the lineage of Jesus? Boaz and Ruth. You see, God wants to use us not just to help provide for his family, God's family, but to have him provide for us. God provides for his people and through his people. That's point two. And then point three is this. God delights in his people. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kalon, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. So here, Boaz frankly hits the lotto. The, the dream is coming true because he's longing for a family of his own beyond just redeeming Ruth and Naomi in that lineage. And so he says today twice, you are my witnesses. I take it upon myself to further their line, to redeem their family. It's a powerful declaration and celebration over Naomi and Ruth. And you can almost imagine that the word gets back to them quickly and how their hearts become full because they're being redeemed. But the passage doesn't stop there. A powerful chorus of praise is then shared by all the people. At this point, the whole town is coming and declaring praise over Boaz and Ruth through these words. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing, catch this, in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. You see, through her redemption, Ruth moves from being a foreigner, an immigrant, an outsider to an insider, and her life is changed forever. At the beginning of Ruth, she's an outsider coming with Naomi, and people don't know how to take her being there in Israel. By the end, the actual Israelites themselves, this clan here in Bethlehem, they're declaring praises over her, and her very identity is changed. She's no longer referred to as the Moabite. She's referred to as the woman 
or the wife of Boaz. She's been accepted wholly into the clan, into the tribe. But there's something more. There's something even better. Through Ruth's redemption, the very course of history for everyone, even you, JM, is changed forever. Catch these words. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. It's a mic drop moment in the cosmos. And let me ask it this way. Might it be that God wants to redeem you, to delight in you, and use your life to shape the world in which we live? If God can do this for Ruth, he can do this for any person sitting here today. He can redeem your story, your struggles, and he wants to delight in you and use you to change the course of history. Who do we know through the Gospels becomes famous coming out of Bethlehem? Jesus Christ. What I love about our church and what God is doing here is this is not just a story we read about. This is a story we're actually participating in. Last week, during our baptisms, here's a picture on our screen of people celebrating, cheering over all the people that are being baptized, saying, welcome to the family of God. You see... No matter your struggle, God can redeem your story. I'd like to close with this quote. The book of Ruth wants to teach us that God's purpose for the life of his people is to connect us to something far greater than ourselves. God wants us to know that when we follow him, our lives always mean more than we think they do. For the Christian, there's always a connection between the ordinary events of life and the stupendous work of God in history. Everything we do in obedience to God, no matter how small, is significant. It's part of a cosmic mosaic, which God is painting to display the greatness of his power and wisdom to the world and to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The deep satisfaction of the Christian life is that it's not given over over to trifles. Serving a widowed mother-in-law, gleaning in a field, falling in love, having a baby. For the Christian, these things are all connected to eternity. They are part of something so much bigger than they seem. That's from John Piper. To close, last week we talked about Ruth taking action and trusting in and risking in and resting in God. This week, God is saying, watch me work. I want to fight for you. I'm here to provide for you. I want to delight in you.
The question is, will you let him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, many of us here need to know that you fight for us even when we can't see you at work. God, we pray that you would intercede on our behalves, even in the smallest ways. And God, many of us, we need to be provided for, and some of us are being called to provide for others as redeemers with you. Have your way, Lord. And God, some of us are thirsty to be delighted in. We think we're too far from redemption. God, would you redeem us and delight in us and use us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.